the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week's The Interview is brought to you by AndrewandTodd.com. AndrewandTodd.com are the world's best lenders for real estate. They are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. You can call them at 888 And please do, no matter what your lending needs are, AndrewandTodd.com. And now welcome to this new edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined from Israel by Dr. Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the United States, former deputy minister in the uh, Netanyahu last permanent government. He's also the author of a brand new novel, To All Who Call in Truth, which I am greatly enjoying, Michael. I got the audio book. I have listened to about half of it. I'm up to the uh, uh, saps, not doing an investigation into the squirrel incident. And I am just genuinely enjoying it. Well done. I'm sorry your book dropped in the middle of a war, though. (laughs) <laughs> they seem to always do that, to tell the truth. Uh, I don't know. Maybe someone's telling me something. Good to be with you here. We're, we're in the middle of a, of a major uh, uptick in the fighting in the South. Um, very large barrages hitting the South this morning. Um, people uh, seriously injured. And, um, you know, there's much talk about an impending ceasefire, but I don't see any sign of it right now. I wanted to ask you about two things, the ceasefire and the political situation in Israel. First, the ceasefire. President Biden, I went back and compared with President Obama, has followed exactly the construction that President Obama used in the last Gaza war of 2014. But in 10 days, President Obama went from Israel has a right to defend itself to demanding a unilateral ceasefire. Do you expect the same thing from Team Biden? Not demanding. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons. First of all, there was context. Um, when Obama made that demand, Israel was operating on the ground. And I don't see any large-scale uh, ground operation in the works right now. Um, we haven't called up the requisite number of, of reservists. There hasn't been that type of buildup along the border that you need of strategically 15,000, 17,000 soldiers. I don't see that right now. So that's one. Um, two, um, <laughs> what can I say? President Biden is not President Obama. Uh, America was in a different position globally back then to, to make that type of demand. Um, America has withdrawn a lot from the Middle East, and that has it, it impacted its leverage. And so the, the means to which this administration can pressure Israel are not, what it were, are not what they were 10 years ago. I am also impressed by what I understand to be and appears to be an evolution weaponry so that Israel, with using precision munitions that can go deep, is systematically destroying the so-called metro. Am I right about that? Yes, you're right about that. And that, that has relieved uh, some of the pressure on us to go in on the ground, because now you can do it from the air with what soldiers had to do on the ground before, actually going, you know, you know, ferreting into these holes and blowing them up, which was tremendously dangerous uh, for our soldiers. We lost a number of soldiers doing that. Um, so, yeah, that's a big improvement. Um, I think that uh, behind all this, and we can't lose sight of the, the big strategic picture here, and that is who, who is behind this, <laughs> behind this, is the major backer of Hamas, the exclusive owner and operator of Islamic Jihad, which is Iran. 
Now, the same Iran with which uh, this administration is engaged in negotiations to renew the 2015 uh, Iran nuclear deal. And I think that, you know, while credit has to be given to this administration for standing by Israel and upholding our right to uh, defend ourselves, I, I also question, you know, at the end of this, uh, when we go back into that negotiation with the, uh, with the Iranians about the JCPOA, uh, will the administration say, well, listen, Israel, uh, we stood by you in your hour of need in Gaza. Now, uh, why don't you stand down a little bit while we renew this nuclear deal? So, Dr. Warren, you're a very sober judge of these things. So I just ask you, uh, is Hamas reeling? That's an American term that I think applies to lots of wars. Is the enemy reeling? Okay. Everything you know about war, <laughs> everything you know about conflict, uh, when it comes to Hamas, throw it out. Okay. That uh, for them reeling, for them suffering loss to a very large extent is a good thing. Okay. It makes them look like heroes. It makes them look like they are suffering for the Palestinian cause. Um, if Israel inflicts damage on civilians in uh, Gaza, inadvertently, it's good for Hamas. I've spoken before in this program how Iron Dome is a double-edged sword, yet it creates disproportionality. It enables Hamas to say, look, look at all how we're suffering while the Israelis aren't suffering hardly at all. Um, so they get credit for firing rockets at us, but they also get credit when we, when we shoot back at them. Um, everything you understand. Uh, it was very difficult. For a year and a half, I was in charge of Gaza for the Israeli government. And it took me a long time to wrap my head around the fact that, that Hamas actually likes a humanitarian disaster in Gaza. It likes keeping the Palestinian people with, with nothing to lose, keeping them dependent on Hamas. They're immensely cruel. They use hundreds of kids to dig these tunnels, and hundreds of kids are killed every year digging this tunnel. They don't care. All right? The international community doesn't care, but the Hamas doesn't care. Uh, everything you know about <laughs> pretty much about human beings, you can throw out the window when you talk about Hamas. Wow. That's really revealing. By the way, so is your Hadassah article on Israel at 100. I don't know when you wrote that. It's incredibly timely right now. It is, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes. Um, you know, I also live in Jaffa. We've had some, you know, we've had some violence there, street violence. I was, I was always very proud to say that I lived with a mixed community, that we lived together, Jews and Arabs, in harmony. Uh, some of that harmony was, was disrupted this week. Uh, it's important to note, though, that, that the area where there were disturbances were almost exclusively areas that were very poor, working-class areas, a lot of unemployment both among Arab and uh, uh, Jewish youth. Uh, and we have to address not only the, the ethnic issue, but also the economic issue. Now, it's very big. You know, Israel is an economic miracle, but only for part of the population that's involved in high tech. Uh, we have a very big social gap. So now to the political question, Dr. Oren. Uh, I read the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and Ynet News. I can barely find a mention of what is going on in coalition negotiations. And I believe it's probably out of respect for those who are on the front line and in the bomb shelters and those who have been killed and those who have been injured. Nevertheless, there is a deadline approaching for the, uh, the government either to, to be formed by the opposition or to pass to the Knesset. What is going on? Can you just expound on what you understand to be going on with uh, the prime minister and his allies and foes? Well, there's scuttlebutt. And lots of it. Uh, and there's conspiracy theories. The conspiracy theories that, that Netanyahu basically precipitated uh, this crisis in order to foil the attempts uh, of the anti-BB camp to form a coalition with the explicit or implicit support of the Arab parties. That became impossible once this fighting started. And today the Arab uh, communities of Israel are having a general strike, so they it even more difficult. 
Um, now the recent scuttlebutt is that said that Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz are secretly in cahoots uh, to keep uh, the current coalition in place, and that, uh, that that Benny Gantz will become prime minister for 18 months. But in, in a kind of strange arrangement, Netanyahu will remain in Balfour, that's uh, Israel's White House, and he will retain the status of a prime minister so that he can appear in court and his corruption trials as prime minister. Because if he's not prime minister, he has to resign. Now, that would require an update to the law, would it not? Because if you're not the prime minister, even if you're living at the prime minister's house, you don't have immunity. Yeah, you have to get a tweak into the law. No question about that. That, that, would, that would be the glue that would cement this, this deal together. And I imagine that's a sine qua non for, for Netanyahu, because he's not about to resign. And so what happens to Natali Bennett in this? He was supposed to come back. I thought there would be, and you and I talked about the potential of a Netanyahu-Gantz coalition last week, but I, Bennett had leverage. Does he not have any leverage? Doesn't he just go back to the other team, the anti-Netanyahu team, and begin to get back to where they were before Hamas began the war? Right now, he's the big loser. Bennett's the big loser because the, the people who voted for him because he was right-wing now know that, in principle at least, he was willing to sit with the Arab party. So he's not entirely right-wing. Other right-wing parties refuse to sit with the Arabs. So he's lost those voters. Those people who voted for him because he was anti-Netanyahu realized that there's a chance he would actually sit with Netanyahu. So he's lost those voters. Um, his, his political fortunes are not particularly high right now. And uh, recent reports in Israel said that uh, Netanyahu is actually retreating from the offer he had made earlier to Bennett to, to make him prime minister in a rotation. And now that's been do- downgraded because, you know, because <laughs> today, in contrast to say two days ago, uh, Bennett's political fortunes uh, are much less and his leverage is much less. So when do we expect to get any kind of hard news as opposed to scuttlebutt about coalition negotiations? Will they all have to be postponed until after the war is over? Yes, probably. And listen, the war may go on for another couple of days, but um, you know, and eventually and the clock will not have run out on the coalition uh, time period. We can make a coalition. But, uh, and then it depends you know, on how, how long the Israeli memories are. It, you know, we, we're so used to these different wars. Two weeks from now, uh, people may not remember it to the same degree that they remember it right now. I'm looking at the pictures now. I'm, I'm, I'm in a television station now, about to go on to Israeli television. I'm looking at the photos of, uh, of Hamas rockets blowing up in, uh, in civilian settlements. Um, the headline now is two killed and two in oh. um, moral condition just now, just as just when I'm talking to you. So I, I, I'm, I, let me close by this before you have your hit, uh, Dr. Warren. Thank you for joining us. The Democratic Party is split, and the left of the Democratic Party, from Bernie Sanders to AOC, is condemning Israel. And some of them are calling it a racist state, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, are you surprised and disappointed by the fracture in the Democratic Party? Of course, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm certainly disappointed. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I see what began as a, as a, as a, as a what Israel was sort of a, a dividing line between Republicans and Democrats. Now it's become a dividing line within the Democratic Party itself. Um, and, uh, you know, at it, it, the end of the day, you know, we have to do what we have to do to defend our citizens. And Bernie Sanders can write all the op-eds in the New York Times that he wants to. And Peter Biner can write all the op-eds in the New York Times he wants to. Uh, our people are being shot at. And, uh, and right now, two are dead and two are seriously wounded. We're going to do whatever it takes to, to defend them. 
And, on that uh, note, that, that, that is well said. Duty. <laughs> Call us back whenever you can. It's great to talk to you. Be okay. safe. Dr. Michael Thank Oren you. from Israel this morning. Uh, I, I love getting up to date, uh, but that, I don't love getting news like that. Two more dead in Israel, two more seriously injured in this morning's rocket attacks from Gaza into the state of Israel. I'm sure there are people also dead in Gaza. I'm sure. I'm not making light of that. I understand that. I grieve for those families. But a terrorist entity is attacking Israel around the clock and killing Israelis. Of course, the Israeli government is going to respond around the clock unless and until that threat is ended. If Hamas wants the war to end, they have to stop sending missiles at Israeli citizens and killing Israeli citizens. That is the beginning point, and I cannot believe Democrats who do not understand. In fact, I want to play Paul Begala again uh, from Jake Tapper's show yesterday on CNN, cut number two. I think it's real, and I think it's deeply problematic as an American first, not just a, a, a Democrat. I'm a very strong supporter of Israel myself. Of course, I served a president, Bill Clinton, who's a very strong supporter of Israel and who advanced the peace process. I think that's the way to do it. But you're right, there are young, there's, a, there's a generational divide in the Democratic Party. Younger Democrats, who I think have really never known Israel except in the persona of Benjamin Netanyahu. And Netanyahu took a huge gamble and, and insulted Barack Obama, insulted Joe Biden, and really cozied up to Trump. And older guys like me remember and maybe no more of the history of what a stalwart, terrific ally Israel is for America. You know, I, that's no all I wanted. To, I wanted to hear Paul repeat. The Democratic Party has a generation gap. They have an Israel gap. And if you are a supporter of Israel, you really can't trust the Democrats with power. You just can't. I am joined now on the interview with you, Hewitt. By Matt Continenti. He is the resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Um, I just got done talking to Michael Oren from Israel, and two Israelis are dead this morning. Two more are injured in uh, the southern part. He was about to go do a hit. That's the, the Chiron on the screen. I don't think this is going to be over anytime soon. What do you think? Uh, I, I tend to agree. You know, um, if my rule is if it didn't end by the Friday prayers last week, it was going to extend at least another week. And so um, I, I do think that a uh, few people have been surprised, I think, by the resilience of the Hamas rocket uh, supply. Um, they have sent uh, thousands upon thousands of rockets into Israel at ranges uh, we haven't really seen before. Uh, and But they've been slowly uh, been deteriorated. Um, and so I think it will take the IDF uh, at least a few more days. Two other things, or three other things, Dr. Oren said I'd like your comment on. First, he is not surprised by the Democratic Party split uh, with many people opposing Israel's self-defense. But he said, and it's close to a quote, Bernie Sanders can write as many op-eds in The New York Times as he wants. Peter Beiner can write as many op-eds in The New York Times what he wants. But Israel will defend itself. I think, actually, that is the majority opinion among Americans of both parties. Do you? Yes. Uh, the, the dynamics are changing in disturbing ways, Hugh. I think we have three forces at work here. We have the Biden administration, which so far has supported Israel's right to defend herself, even while just yesterday calling for a ceasefire. But notice they just said they support a ceasefire. They didn't demand one. So they still are giving Israel time. And you have the congressional party, which is increasingly divided. And the energy seems to be 
with the squad. And the squad is following in the footsteps of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, which is to become so is anti-Israel that they border on anti-Semitism. That was bad for Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. Labour still hasn't recovered. And it would be bad for the Democratic Party to follow the squad in this way. Then finally, the third force, Hugh, is the media, which to me has been the most ridiculous of all. <laughs> I have been shocked at the anti-Israel content of the American media. Um, I think it's worse than the 2014 war. Uh, and I think it's um, extremely one-sided uh, in an anti-Israel direction. And so as you go from the Biden administration to the congressional Democrats, then to the mainstream media, you get more and more anti-Israel. Um, luckily, the, of those three groups, the one with the most power and influence is, is Biden, and he's still giving Israel an opportunity to, to defend herself. Now, Matt Continenti, I went back and looked at the 2014 war. President Obama uh, originally uh, defended Israel's right to uh, defend itself, and then 10 days later was calling for a unilateral ceasefire. Dr. Oren distinguishes the context there, citing America's withdrawal from the Middle East as having lost its leverage. I'm not sure that's correct, but it certainly may be true. Do you expect the same turn over the same period of time as we saw with Obama to happen with Biden? Well, look, we're about a week in. Uh, the international pressure and the congressional pressure on the Biden administration has increased. I think they're doing baby steps, but you're absolutely right. You can see the change in their statements um, from last week, where it was basically no comment. Israel is doing what Israel has to do to just the past 24 hours, where it is we support a ceasefire. If the operation continues into next week, uh, then I do think that you would begin to see even um, stronger rhetoric from the Biden administration. The question is how long it will last. And I, I, I just don't know what the Israeli war cabinet is thinking here, um, just because um, they have definitely degraded Hamas's um, personnel, uh, their rocket supply, and yet the attacks are continuing. And I think there is a desire for a blow uh, to Hamas's infrastructure that will basically knock it out for at least another seven years. We just don't know how long that will take. Uh, we talked about the increase in the lethality of the Israeli precision munitions against the so-called metro. Uh, I haven't seen any other reporting except that which is in the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and Ynet News. But it does seem as though they are wreaking havoc on the metro. Is that your impression, Matt Continetti? Oh, absolutely. I think everything we see is that uh, IDF is winning this conflict, as they tend to do. They're doing it in extraordinary technological ways, Hugh. I mean, not only the precision munitions, but look at Iron Dome. I mean, um, the success of Iron Dome getting up to 90 percent of the, of the thousands of rockets being fired into Israel is just amazing. And I think it's a, a real negative judgment on all of the critics of missile defense here in the United States for the past 25 years. We can see missile defense technology at work in Israel today, and we need to continue to pursue it. Now, Matt Continenti, talk to me a little bit about why the media is so anti-Israel. I mean, really, what's going on there? Because I agree with you, that is what is happening. Yeah, I, well, I think a few things are happening. One is just um, the herd of independent minds has now decided uh, that Israel is the bad guy, Netanyahu is the bad guy. Um, uh, for whatever reason, Hamas doesn't get you know its credit or due. I mean, it's just, just amazing this continual inability to recognize Hamas for what it is, which is a criminal terrorist organization that has no concern, no concern for innocent life whatsoever. When it's and you compare that to the IDF, which goes out of its way to prevent civilian casualties. 
Another thing is, you know, Hugh, I've been reminded of that comment by um, the deputy national security advisor under Obama, Ben Rhodes, who, who told the New York Times back um, in 2015, I believe, that the thing about the American media is they know nothing. Uh, that they're 20-year-olds, um, they get stuck into these jobs, they don't pay well at the opening levels, they spend most of their time just aggregating other people's opinions, and they know they don't know what they're talking about. And so as I read a lot of the, um, the newsletters or the uh, just the, you know, kind of junior positions uh, explaining what's happening, it's just, I think, ignorance is at work. Now, that doesn't explain people like Tom Friedman, you know, who, who's like giving a conspiracy theory today saying that, oh, actually, Hamas and Bibi, they're working together to keep him in power. I mean, that's just absurd. It doesn't explain people like Peter Beinart, uh, uh, who had an atrocious column last week saying that Israel won't understand until they have a disaster of their own. Um, but but I think at the, for the broadest sense, when I read the news reports, um, and especially online, uh, you just people people who have no idea what's going on and who just kind of think, oh, oh, well, um, uh, Israel is, is richer, more powerful, more technologically advanced. Hence, they must be the bad guy. And uh, what a what an atrocious piece of reasoning that is. Now, Matt, I've also had a, a very brief civil exchange with Liz Kostin of The New York Times. She's going to join me uh, to talk about this at length, where I had commented. Oh, you can't hear me. Uh, I had commented that the, uh, the, the, the media is left, 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 an extension of the Democratic Party. She said, no, it's not. I don't know why this is believed to be the case. Am I right or is she right? Uh, what, what, was, what is her position again, Hugh? I missed you there. Her, uh, her, her position is that I am overstating the media's bias, that she doesn't understand why the position of me and many like me is that the media, legacy media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the networks, PBS, etc., are left, 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 and now function as an extension of the Democratic Party. She disputes that. Uh, well, she's wrong. <laughs> you look at you look at the networks. You look at the newspapers. In fact, many times uh, the uh, the media is the dog, and the Democratic Party is the tail. I think the Democratic Party is taking the cues from the media about what they should be concerned about, what they should be um, interested in, advocating. This is a problem for the Democratic Party. I mean, you see, you see now the House. It's a very narrow majority for the Democrats. It depends on these swing districts. Hugh, if they are to follow the cues from the media and from the squad on the issue of Israel, I think it would be a disaster for them. Not only in the short term uh, and their credibility in national security, but also going into the midterm election because it just shows that they are kowtowing to the left. You know, and uh, the same goes for Biden. He has enough problems on his hands. Um, creating daylight between U.S. and Israel would just increase them, I think. So uh, one more pass over this question. You answered it first by saying they don't know anything. They're ignorant. But why is there systemic left wing bias in the elite media? And I mean, the Manhattan Beltway media. I'm not talking about papers out in Cleveland or papers in, in Alabama. I'm talking about the Manhattan Beltway quarter. Why does that systemic bias exist? How deep is it? And what does they what do they do about it? Well, I think it's the same reason there's bias in the universities. It's all about hiring. It's all about hiring. And especially in the last 10 years, Hugh, you've seen uh, the uh, editorial management and leadership become more politicized, more left wing, and hence they're only hiring and promoting people with their views. So the same 
um, kind of pathologies we see in the university of cancel culture, of kind of rigging the system to benefit the, um, the tenured employees is at work, I think, in a lot of the media. And, and so that's why I think that the, the bias has become entrenched. Uh, also, one other thing, you know, uh, there's a big audience for left wing propaganda. Um, and there are a lot of clicks involved and uh, a, lo a lot of people who want to buy it and read it. And I think that's also incentivizing this completely one-sided uh, coverage of, of events like what's happening in Israel. I tell people I had the lowest rated show in the history of MSNBC, but it was a noble effort by Andrew Lack to try and put a conservative voice into a blue universe. And it failed because they will not watch. And by the way, that's true about the right wing too. So we have monetized and segregated audiences. I am just very worried that that ends up with no news at all. And two, uh, two complete factories of affirmation, uh, confirmation bias. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we see that today. I mean, there's some hope now with the, the, the Substack, the newsletter revolution. There are people who want to have a more uh, detached or a more factual view they're having new media to look at, but there's been an incredible amount of disinformation on this conflict when you go online and, and you look at uh, social media. And of course, bad actors are at work manipulating that misinformation and spreading it. And so it's important to have uh, places where you can go to see the news. I'm urging people to go to Israeli media. If you go to the Jerusalem Post, if you go to the Times of Israel, you get a much better account of what is happening. And by the way, not you know, rah, rah, Netanyahu either. They're going to say, what, what is going on? What are we doing? Uh, wh what is the status? And so this is, this is the comparison between the American media on this and the Israeli media has been, I think, just a disaster for the U.S. media. Uh, in many ways, American media is resembling, to say, the BBC, which is long-running, you know, anti-Zionist, borderline anti-Semitic coverage of the Middle East. That's a very dangerous and bad place to go for the United States media. But I can only say, luckily, we have, you know, the Internet so we can go and see what's really happening if we go to these Israeli websites. Last question, Matt. Uh, Ynet News, I would also add to those two, the Jerusalem yeah. Post, Times of Israel and Ynet News. These are, these are three English speaking and free sources for people. And it is very balanced. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has lived to survive to fight another day in coalition. Uh, Dr. Oren said Benny Gantz is now the scuttlebutt going to have a deal with Netanyahu that preserves his immunity against trial. What do you hear in Washington, D.C. about what is going to happen in Israeli politics post the war? Oh, I mean, what I hear is utter confusion. I mean, which is basically the state of uh, Washington's attitude toward Israeli politics uh, for the past several years. I mean, we're now, you know, four elections in. We have these continuing um, coalition politics in Israel. I will say this. One consequence of this war was to scuttle the talks uh, that were going to include an Arab Islamist party, Ram, in, in, the, uh, in a coalition, an anti-Netanyahu coalition. That ended that. And what I think, when I look at what's happening in Israel today, I think it's, it's not about the United States. It's not even about Netanyahu. It's about intra-Arab Palestinian politics. That is, Hamas used an opportunity the great, given to them by Abbas, the Palestinian Authority leader, when he canceled the parliamentary elections. They wanted to scuttle any attempt at integration of the uh, Arab-Israeli minority with the majority population. And they are using this in a bid for um, leadership of the Palestinian cause 
um, and kind of leadership for the um, Arab nationalist cause, whatever remains of it. So when I look at this, I see this as internal Palestinian politics. And it's also, though, it's, it's an opportunity now for Israel to really degrade Hamas's capability. And if they're able to show the world that Hamas, uh, Hamas's actions do not pay, uh, then I think we'll have an, another respite. And it could be good for Netanyahu. But the thing is, when people talk only about Netanyahu, they don't realize the national security issue unifies all Israelis. There is no difference on national security between Netanyahu or Gantz or whoever is going to replace him. Um, so this is something to keep in mind. And all the American left who thinks, oh, get rid of Netanyahu and peace will flow, they're absolutely wrong. They are. Matt Continenti of the American Enterprise Institute, you are always a great guest. Thank you for joining me this morning. Check in with you soon. Follow him on Twitter, at Continenti. I'm joined now by Fred Barnes, columnist at large of the Washington Examiner, longtime observer of all things in D.C. Good morning, Fred. Hi, how are you, Hugh? Good. I just got done talking to Matt Continenti, who followed mm -hmm. a conversation with Michael Oren about the American media's coverage of the Israeli-Hamas yeah. war. Yeah. What do you make of that coverage? Uh, I think it's uh, what we would have expected. It's an entirely uh, anti-Israel anti coverage. It's entirely in favor of uh, not – they don't say, well, we're backing the position of the Iranians, but in fact that's what they're doing. Uh, they present, uh, pretend like Hamas is not a terrorist group. Hamas, of course, uh, is the group that uh, runs the Gaza Strip uh, and is rocketing – uh, homes and, and other places in Israel, uh, they pretend like it's just a, uh, well, it's kind of an extreme group, but but not that it's a long-time uh, terrorist group. They're pretending something's going on there that is not going on, and namely that uh, that somehow Israel's responsible for all the deaths there and all the violence, when it's just the opposite that's true. Now, Fred, you've been covering Washington for 40 years. And so I'm, yep. I'm wondering, media, has it gone left, left, left? Is it now an extension of the Democratic Party, or is it as it was 40 years ago? No, no, I think it's an extension of, of uh, not just the Democratic Party. I mean, the Democratic Party is, is still uh, divided uh, on many issues, although the majority and the influential wing of the Democratic Party is the, is the progressive uh, element, uh, the one that wants to create more government and, and and so on. We know how far left they are, and that's the one that has the influence right now. It is a a, a much bigger influence than uh, the centrist Democrats. Now, <laughs> and what I finally decided is that uh, Trump, of course, is accused of having a big lie about about a stolen election in 2020. Biden has a big lie, and that is what kind of a president he would be ideologically and otherwise. The big lie is that he would be a centrist, uh, that he would unite the parties, uh, and he would be uh, uh, someone who uh, Americans uh, would like anything. He would not be no mention of anything uh, about the left wing of the party. Now, what happened instantly? All of that that he had said, even in his uh, original address, his inauguration address, turned out to be utterly untrue. It was a big lie. And what's happening is the party is run by the far left. And, and, and Biden himself is run by the far left of the Democratic Party.
Uh, now, I want to go back to the media, though, Fred. Has it become okay. significantly more left-wing in the last 10 years? Significantly oh, yeah. more. Uh, definitely so. Uh, remember, uh, think about uh, how uh, Barack Obama acted as president. Uh, did he act like a, a, uh, a far-left president who was being uh, uh, cheered on and, and backed by uh, the mainstream media? No, I mean, he was backed by them, but but he wasn't overdoing it. Uh, his big issue was health care. Uh, he did, in his second term, negotiate uh, uh, what I think is a terrible deal with uh, Iran. But he was not a far left president, and 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 the and the uh, uh, the media wasn't there. It is there now, and and one of the reasons is because of the weakness of Biden. You know, Biden, is, as I've written and said, has never had a, a fresh idea of his own. He only gets ideas from others in the Democratic Party. And right now he's getting them from the progressive left wing of the party. So, Fred, I asked this of Matt. I want to hear your answer as well. Why has the media gone over the left edge of the cliff? Well, uh, well, a lot of them are there anyway. And uh, and uh, they have just gotten in a controlling position in the Democratic Party, uh, somewhat to my surprise. I, I really wasn't expecting it. And, uh, and but you do have to remember that uh, uh, Biden is someone who is very, uh, very impressionable. He doesn't have any ideas of his own. He gets somebody and look who he promoted. The, I guess the biggest clue, the, the earliest clue about uh, the direction Obama, rather Biden, uh, was going to go was who he was hiring uh, to be in his cabinet, to be in his White House, uh, and and they were all coming from the left wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, uh, certainly, to my surprise, maybe to yours as well, Hugh. Well, well, people won't believe this, but Fred Barnes was the lead reporter for the New Republic in the 80s, and that was considered to be the preeminent journal of the time, fair and balanced completely um, objective and a reliable source of news about what was going on in, in the White House. And I don't know what uh, elite media, legacy media, I call it, expects to do for audience, Fred. I, I think their numbers are crashing because they have decided to super serve a very small percentage of Americans. By the way, Fox does the same thing. I believe that both ends of the spectrum now want 100 percent of the 3 percent, the 3 percent on the far left, the 3 percent on the far right. And Fox wants the three percent on the far right, and and CNN, MSNBC want three percent on the far left, as does the New York Times and most of the Washington Post. It's not a sustainable business model. And well, I don't think it is either. But uh, uh, the difference is uh, uh, the print media and and uh, and uh, also the major uh, television media were not there. I mean, look, Fox has been very conservative for. Uh, almost since its beginning in uh, 1995, 96. Uh, but the the, uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times, while always liberal, uh, were not there. But they are now. Extremely liberal. Therefore, I mean, on everything you name the issue, and they're there. Whether it's critical race uh, theory or 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 uh, or foreign policy, or whether the U.S. should have gotten out of. Uh, Afghanistan, which I think was a critical error by uh, Biden, uh, and on and on and on. Uh, uh, that's where they are now. They have moved to the left, and, and we see 
do we see some of these things, which I chuckle at, but it, they haven't been good for America, where uh, a seemingly uh, small influential groups, well, maybe not small, but influential groups in the newsrooms of, of big newspapers and, and important national television networks uh, have their say. <laughs> they can get people fired. Uh, and uh, and certainly changed the way things are covered, and it and it's now to the far left. I never expected it uh, uh, to happen. Now, uh, you know, I, I I've known Biden for a long time, and and when he's talking about unity and everything in that speech, and he has always been a a centrist uh, Democrat, waiting around to see what the party wanted, and, and he'd be for it. Uh, but a a far left progressive. Uh, I mean, that's just not who Biden has been. That's not who he campaigned on. And that's where we get the big lie. I mean, he lied that he would be somebody that uh, from the beginning of his administration, he has not been. So my last question, Fred Barnes, is about America and Israel. I actually believe support in the United States has remained consistently off the charts in favor of Israel, a democratic free state, a republic that is not an apartheid state. I think the media is completely out of step with the audience. Do you agree with me that America remains overwhelmingly supportive of Israel? I do at the moment. Uh, whether it will stay that way with the media, uh, you know, wanting, <laughs> wanting to prove that, that uh, 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 Israel bombed a building in, uh, in Gaza uh, where the, uh, some of the media branches are and so on. Uh, if the media keeps it up, and I expect it to, uh, this far left position uh, that that uh, Israel is the is the uh, a combatant that's responsible for the deaths and the bombings and started it all and so on. Uh, it will change. I mean, Israel. I don't think Israel will become heavily unpopular, but the popularity it has now will uh, begin to fade. I think. You know, Fred, either it will change or the audience will melt away. I think it's going to be the latter. I think people are not buying what legacy media, elite media, is selling. I really don't. I think they're killing well, their audience. Right. Fred, good to talk to you. Follow him at Fred Barnes. Read him in the Washington Examiner whenever he deigns to, to, to give us a column. He's semi-retired now, so he's a man of leisure, man of letters, puttering around his library and reading UVA stories and that sort of stuff. But come back early and often, Fred. Good to talk to you. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.